Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Megan. Happy Diwali. Happy Diwali. Welcome back. Yeah, we're at season three, episode, wait, this is six, right? Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. How are you? How are you feeling about it? Uh, I don't know if I have anything to say about this episode. <laughs> I wrote things down like, ask Megan about proposals. How does she feel about them? <laughs> That's what I wrote down. Stuff like that. I found too. I don't feel like I have as much to say about this one for sure, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll find out that this turns out to surprisingly be, you know, our longest episode yet who knows well, yeah last time i was like oh we don't have anything to say and then it i was like oh my god two hours later what is happening uh, so, yeah i know i know <laughs> no regrets though about that <laughs> no regrets yeah definitely definitely not regretting that um should we start though with revisions on the note of regrets should we start with revisions and regrets i think we should yeah okay i've got two very different in tone so the first one, this was from our last episode, and I felt bad about the way that I said something. And this was, you know how Michael is doing those Cosby impressions? Yes. And I said this sort of like offhand comment at some point, like Cosby's reputation was different at the time. And then I felt like it just made it sort of sound too light or like I was describing it as if he just had a bad reputation. Mm. And so I just felt, I felt bad about that. Mm. Um, and it was, so I looked up to when the the news and the kind of story around Cosby changed. And it really came out around 2014, this long list of rape accusations. Although they had been there before. I, I didn't remember kind of how it came out, like how it kind of blew up and became this big story and then he um eventually was convicted for it but it was the comedian Hannibal Burris made a joke about it and then it kind of brought because there had been women who would come forward and said things before but it basically kind of blew up and when I looked into it it said there were then more um people who came forward and it kind of moved forward from there but I felt like I was just a little uh you know too offhand on that comment so I felt bad about it afterward and I was like oh god I'm gonna have to revise and regret that so that's one the other one to really transition in the nature of revisions and regrets this actually goes back so far to I should have looked up which episode this was but the one where Dwight is in his underwear you know when Michael stays out oh it's the Chili's episode isn't it when Michael stays out with Jan and then Dwight is waiting for him and he's wearing those blue underpants. Yes. And I think you have to call them underpants in his case. And so we had gotten into this discussion. I don't know how long this was this like a year ago or something, but about um, briefs and boxers. And I think I made a claim <laughs> that I thought boxers were kind of a newer phenomenon, not brand new but maybe since the 90s mm -hmm. so my brother at that point had he thought no he kind of came came at me over this and he he felt that he had seen boxers on the andy griffith show okay <laughs> and he could not put his finger on it though he could not identify it but just this week an image has resurfaced and it is andy griffith with his pants off okay so like he's got a jacket on 
he's getting ready to go somewhere. Have you ever heard of this thing? This is actually, I think, a Jerry Seinfeld thing of when you're going to go perform or you're going to be in front of people, you keep your pants off or like you kind of take them off to sit down so they don't get creased. No, I've not heard this. Of this this Seinfeld story it's about like when you're in your back the back room waiting anyway I don't know why but in the scene and all I have from my brother is this one picture of it but he's standing there he's got a jacket he's otherwise dressed and there are other people in the room it's not it's not like a, a racy episode but he is wearing boxers so they go back to at least when was that the 50s I always sort of picture like old war you know representations of people in world war ii with like you know soldiers in white boxers or something like that yeah and i I wondered if they were popular and then went away like yeah 80s or something i don't know because like when we were growing up briefs were in and (laughs) i think you already had a better and more worked out theory about this and i think i was just off so anyway i'm glad all this all this time all these episodes later does this imply that your brother is only now listening to episodes from a year ago or it's no. just he was so the the it's lingered for him for so it's long. lingered it's okay. been a lingering issue for him yeah um, that's a terrifying thought that there are things that we've said that are lingering <laughs> for anybody yes <laughs> that are just continuing to bother someone for yeah months on end yeah but but that is that's where we're at so that's my revisions and regrets now i had some revisions and regrets i texted megan uh about having revisions and regrets they felt very important and urgent to me and megan responded saying uh write them down and i said okay probably with a smiley face or something like that opened up my notes app to write them down and then did not do that and so i have no idea like not even the slightest idea of what it was that felt really important to me at the time but just in general something I did think about and I was like oh I wish we had more time to talk about was the concept of initiation itself and like what uh and whether Dwight's like mode of initiation is how he would want to be initiated and then does Mm -hmm. each person will we see other forms of initiation in the future of the show and if so you know will they reflect like how characters think that initiation should be and yeah. if yeah i don't know I, and I, i've been thinking a lot about that so so that's just something on my mind that i regret i didn't think more about and but i'll be paying attention to going forward so we are in accounting right now, right? We are. I, I just have to say quickly, Tyler, I am really disappointed that you do not remember your revision and regret because you had, from the way you text- I was really into it, yeah. It was urgent. You had something so clearly and now it's just gone and we no longer have access to it. Yep. So for future accounting and accountability, when you say that, I'm going to ask you to text it to me now. Yeah, yeah. And- you know, I like, typically I like to be surprised when we record, which is why I like know ahead of time, but I don't think you can handle just holding this information on your own. I think everybody can hear that, like, Megan really is the glue of the podcast, <laughs> which bothers me, you know, for, like, gender reasons. I don't want to be, you know, the, like, <laughs> lazy, flubby, you know, uh, the sh- you know, whatever, but... um, but I'm whatever. the Angela, I'm the Angela, meanwhile, <laughs> of 
Uh, I guess I'm, does that make me the gym? Oh no, I've become what I hate. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I will definitely take better notes uh, as Jan wanted Pam to do of Michael. I will, mm. I will so do. Um, yes. Well, let's stroll on over to the supply shelf, perhaps. Oh. Because there is a response, a report from Eric. Um if I may uh, read it into the record. Um, I mean, I guess this is the, the, yeah, I guess we're technically, we passed reception to get to the supply shelf. We will return to reception just to be clear, everybody where we're at, but okay. So over at the supply shelf, Eric has written to us and he says, hi, Megan and Tyler. Okay. My new favorite pen is the pilot precise V5 <gasps> fine point. Oh, oh, Eric. Yeah, I know. Right. Wow, I'm really excited about this. Okay, Tyler, go on. And I'm holding one up right now. Okay, so he says, no contest. However, mm -hmm. arriving at this conclusion was a bit of an odyssey. During <laughs> my years using the G2, I felt pretty clever and old school by purchase purchasing refills for my pens. It made oh. sense to just get the ink. After hearing the story of Tyler falling asleep while leaving the cap off of his pen, my hubris was peaking. Quote, not only is the refillable option really efficient, but the clicker gives you a simple way to retract the point. No need to replace the cap. End quote. Huh. Now that I was out of control, I searched for and found a version of the precise V5 with the same G2 elements. Refillable, huh. with a clicker, and the rubber piece near the end of the barrel. Voila, that's what I ordered. What? I know. I didn't even know that was like an option. Wait, okay. read that line back to me, Tyler. Okay. I gotta get uh, that. He found, or he says he found a version of the precise V5 with the same G2 elements, refillable with a clicker and the rubber piece near the end of the barrel. That's what he's saying. Huh. Okay. Voila, that's what I ordered. But buckle up. Okay. Here okay. We go. My pride quickly dimmed with the poor writing comfort of this model. It felt clunky. However, I like the ink flow much better than the relatively scratchy tip of the G2. So hmm. I tried to live with the clunky he's, pen barrel. He's exactly right. He nailed it. Yeah, the relatively scratchy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I keep interrupting. I'm, no, I'm just I'm loving this. Down notes on here. This on is truly list. your, this is the supply shelf is very much Megan's. Um, <laughs> domain and so i please interrupt okay my expectations turned upside down after hearing megan's comments in the next episode she didn't like the g2's quote extra junk and quote bulk and mentioned it is a very different writing experience i quickly ordered the stick version of the precise v5 and waited yes it is a better experience for sure Simply using a lighter, better balanced pen makes a huge difference. The pen feels more like an extension of my hand, much more comfortable. The verdict is clear. The stick version of the precise V5 is the hands down winner. Keep up the good work, Eric. P.S. Not only was the feeling more comfortable and smooth, but the flow from the tip was vastly superior. That's what she said. <laughs> Or just to be clear, he has written, or Eric has written, I don't know Eric's pronouns, but presumably, either way, Eric has written um, in parentheses TWSS. Uh, oh that. my God. I know. <laughs> and this is just like making my day. So Megan, response to Eric's supply, and his email is called The Supply Shelf. Um, and I got to tell you, it's this 
so well written and funny and it's cracking me up i am so delighted by this in so many ways wow just the descriptions i feel vindicated i mean i feel really proud and really really confident um that it turns out that yes this is a better experience for sure i love the way he turned this into an entire narrative of an odyssey of going from one pen to the other i'm curious about what it's like to kind of discover right you've been using one kind of pen and feeling good about it and then this whole new world opens up and you think about all the years that you spent with that other kind of pen mm. although I do think that I would share his sense of, gosh, what were the words he used? Clever and old school. His sense of feeling clever and old school to be able to refill it. That's mm. the kind of thing that I would feel really good about. I would be kind of self-righteous about it for sure. And so I think I would really enjoy that aspect. I have these G2s. I didn't even know that there was a refillable option. Because when a pen goes fast, you do feel kind of bad just throwing it away because you think, there's still so much stuff. Like, it feels like it should still be lasting, but it isn't. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna need you to forward me that that email. I just need to need to kind of have the language there. I just. I, I really appreciate the level of detail, the level of attention to the body of the pen, the physical aspects of it, as well as the writing experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I found the description of it feeling like an extension of his hand to be striking. And um, I feel like, look at look at how I'm increasing the sales of the precise V5. I feel like an influencer. Okay, well, so that's the thing I'm thinking is like, uh, Eric, I don't know what contacts or connections you have with the precise, uh, you know, pilot company uh but you know if you can get us some sort of sponsorship situation uh i'm here for it i will i'll use the g2 i'll use whatever they want uh if they want to subsidize our podcast but also Tyler, i do appreciate Tyler, don't sell out don't sell out there's a specific <laughs> pilot that you no, want desperate to sell out for <laughs> and it's the v5 Tyler. we have just established this it's this amazing. is what we're good at, at marketing but I will say I I appreciate that Eric pointed out my falling asleep, uh, and and uh, and took it seriously as an issue. Whereas I felt Megan yeah. that you you said it was user error uh, at the time, and it that is. really sat with me because I thought about how, how much of my life is user error. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, whereas Eric, you know, he's saying yeah, actually that is a that's a problem of the pen. You know, to be dealt yeah. with considered uh in its own product yeah. yeah so yeah yeah just you know two two very different philosophies on <laughs> <laughs> how to think about what it means when your your pen spills all right well so we need uh more people to write in including eric always feel free to write back to us too and others about uh if you want megan's hot takes on other supplies <laughs> Office supplies. Perhaps you want to hear uh, Megan's thoughts on post-it notes or mm -hmm. uh, 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 liquid paper or, uh, you know, paper clips, staples, sure. among other things. So, I've, got, I've got ideas about all of them. Okay. All right. <laughs> Shall we uh, stroll on over to um, the receptionist corner? Yes, let's do it. All right.
I guess we need oh. music or something for these transitions. <laughs> I guess we do. Uh, we tried though. I tried one time to add some clapping or some sound effects, and it really I didn't work. Out about that. Oh yeah, yeah, we yeah. Gave up on that. But I do have a letter on the receptionist desk. Proceed. This is coming from Instagram from Andy. Andy says, "Hello, office hours. This is Andy from Ithaca. Not that Andy." <laughs> <laughs> love the podcast i know tyler is a tattoo aficionado and i'm curious what both of you would get if you were forced to get an office themed tattoo oh my god isn't that a great question That's andy continues i thought about it for myself and i think i'd get a foot in a george foreman grill hee <laughs> <laughs> holy crap that's amazing <laughs> that is amazing i intended to think about this and come up with an answer and I forgot because I I feel like I want to put a lot of thought into this Tyler is there anything that jumps to your mind that would be hmm. your tattoo all right I'm just gonna spitball here I'm not committed to these these are just things that are coming to my mind the mm -hmm. first is the logo you know that we kind of used as the mm -hmm. base for our podcast but that feels oh, yeah. you know I mean, it's cute, but it's a little obvious. Um, what about a Dundee? Um, <laughs> and the Dundee, you know, maybe has some sort of Chili's reference on it. That could be an option. Uh -huh. um, man, I love the foot on the grill. What are what are some oh, of our favorite all time down. episodes? I mean, I get oh, Bobblehead Dwight. Oh, like, that's perfect for you. That would that, be good for me. I'd like that would be really good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that would be really good you know what else would be great for you this was a picture you came across the other day and sent to me and it is michael when he's wearing his magician's hat yes he's got the wand ah. with the little white dove at the end of it that would be another really good one i can't wait till we get to that episode um yeah so yeah so those are some of my initial thoughts but i'm gonna keep thinking about this what about you hmm i think one thing that's coming to mind, if if I could get something, some kind of outline, like a sort of line drawing of Michael when he's doing the dundies and when he's walking around with the microphone, mm. maybe when he comes out with the sweatshirt, you know, like the hoodie where he's kind of supposed to, I feel like he's supposed to look like Eminem or something. Huh. Um, I think I might enjoy, yeah, Michael... Michael something Dundee's related. Maybe Pam's Keds. Ooh. Like about a, about a Keds tattoo. The other thing, why are all my, this actually is kind of interesting because Pam tends not to be my favorite, but for some reason, some of my tattoo ideas are gravitating toward Pam because another option would be her drawing of Dunder Mifflin. Oh, that's actually very cute. I like that. Idea. Kind of nice. I feel like you could you could really make that big. You could get like a huge back tattoo, <laughs> <laughs> the whole building. Yeah. Mm, but I'm gonna need to give this some more thought, and I just want to block off some time in our next revisions and regrets, so I can come back with. Yeah. Okay. Idea. I'm gonna sit with this. I'm gonna think about it, and we will return to it. But I will say, Andy, thank you so much for writing in, and then also you've modeled for us what I am. I, I would love to get more of these kind of existential office mm -hmm. questions. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's keep those coming. That's fabulous. 
One, so one follow-up question for you, Tyler, that I think that this is what I need to think about before next time is what is your theory of the tattoo? Like, how do you think about what kind of thing is tattoo material? That's a you know big, what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah. I, so for those who are listening and don't know me, I have a lot of tattoos on my arms and some on my legs and uh for a really long time when I first started getting tattooed um it was a lot of text for me and also a lot of like um smallish you know kind of things and part of that was just because of money and the other part was I was an English major and and I couldn't think of anything more meaningful than words uh to have tattooed and then at a certain point I was like no I want like big pretty flowers and and I want big you know portraits of you know horror movie icons that I like and stuff like that and so um so I am at a point now where I don't feel what I used to feel which is that everything has to be meaningful now I have mm -hmm. some tattoos that I think are kind of like stupid and funny and I and I like that effect um uh and then I have others that I was just like ooh that looked cool um so in this case, because it's kind of a, I don't know, I feel like my love of the office has a campy element to it. Like it's not a sincere, I mean, mm -hmm. it is sincere, but it is, there's a bit of wink to mm -hmm. my love um, or cringe or whatever that I would want something that reflects my feelings about that, you know, hence mm -hmm. like bobblehead Dwight or like, I love Andy's concept of the foot in the George Foreman grill because it kind of captures the irreverence or the mm -hmm. silliness of the whole thing. Um, yeah. So I probably wouldn't want the photorealistic rendering of Dunder Mifflin. And I did think, I was like, who's my favorite mm -hmm. character on the show? Sometimes it's David Wallace, but I don't know that I would want David Wallace on my body. <laughs> Which I also, I mean, I'm sure this podcast loses us any lefty Marxist cred, uh, but uh, even if we had any left to spare, tattooing the CEO of a fictional company. <laughs> but to those who would criticize me, I would say, come on, he's really hot. Come on. Anyway, so I, I guess love David Wallace, and I love the idea of <laughs> that tattoo. You can... <laughs> it's making me think another thing that feels like it's within a lot of, sorry, my dog is making noises in the background. Um, Something that is in the realm of a lot of tattoos would be the bronze eagle that is behind David Wallace yeah. in his office. Yeah. <laughs> but one other idea I thought of as you were discussing this. Wait, this came into my head and then, then it went out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So your point about it being, I think it's important that question of, yeah, are you open to a tattoo that is not super meaningful but that is fun i think you described it as stupid and something else uh maybe silly or something like that so uh, that, that's to say you definitely in this case should be getting the dwight bobblehead like if if you're not thinking of your skin as so sacred that it could not be touched by something sort of stupid right then you i i think that we've got an opening for this and i'm gonna start campaigning for it listeners right in persuade oh, Tyler to actually get that tattoo. Uh, but, well, just really quickly, hold on. I'm. Oh, go ahead. You keep going. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say one other 
image that comes to mind that to me is a really funny image that really sticks with me is <laughs> in <laughs> in fundle bundle <laughs> when Okay, so in Fundle Bundle, when Michael's a kid on that show, and he says he's being interviewed by that puppet, that brown, I think it's a cat puppet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Michael says something just preposterous. I think, you know, it's about having 100 kids so that he can have 100 friends or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the puppet with his big round eyes just kind of drops his mouth open a little bit and is speechless and I think it's just the funniest face and (laughs) so I'm considering I'm considering that as well okay well I have just quickly googled google image the office tattoos Mm. and I just want to um maybe play a quick game with you okay just briefly don't look these up What what would you guess are the most the things that most like the most popular like that that people out in the world get mm, uh, stapler and jello yes holy crap <laughs> that one is big okay prison mike yes how did you oh my goodness <laughs> so many people have prison mike and uh and one you, i would never i would never get prison mike the bell of the ball or something does he oh say? yeah yeah that's what he says <laughs> <laughs> okay okay i feel like a lot of people might have kevin's chili spill i'm not seeing that i am seeing one of kevin it looks like he's got like broccoli jammed in his mouth and it says you're oh. me or something like that but <laughs> that doesn't seem to be super iconic there's two others that are like coming up a lot two or three huh. i can't believe how many are prison mike can you give me a hint um think objects not you know akin to the stapler but like what would be an object that's in the credits world's best boss yes yeah which i think that's actually kind of a cool idea i think um yeah and then is is there a dundee one i'm not seeing that i'm seeing beats i'm seeing um but somebody got the somebody got an outline version of michael and jan at um sandals like the oh my gosh that's great but um no there's one other thing that's <laughs> I love that I want out. that <laughs> I to be more bold with tattoos I think that is hilarious is it the poster one where my, she's got her top off yes she's laying and tanning and Michael's yes. behind her with his arms wide open like exhibiting her exactly. I, yeah, I, I want that <laughs> <laughs> okay there's one more that is a lot of different versions of it different styles but it is and I'll just say it's Dwight, and it's an it's an iconic Dwight moment that we haven't gotten to yet. So mm. what would you say is like the most iconic Dwight, one of the most iconic Dwight moments in the show? Most iconic Dwight? I don't know. In his car? I don't know. CPR episode? Oh, oh no. People get the CPR face? Yes where he's like cut out the flesh that one i guess if you want to add something to your horror sleeve that's the one time we kind of really tap into the horror here isn't it there's a lot of cute ones with is it dwight wearing a pumpkin on his head um that's cute (laughs) i think it's cute 
don't know. Dwight is not cute with that pumpkin on his head. I'm sorry. I, but I the, the versions that people have gotten are kind of adorable. <laughs> and I think I'm like, oh, that would have worked. I would have I would have done that. But now I feel like we can't pick any of these. Hold on. I should have asked you, what's your theory of tattoos? Um, that I draw them on myself for about two years before I decide I'm willing to commit to get something. So for me, getting an office tattoo, it would really have to be good. I think I like them simple. Mm. And I think I'd like something kind of line drawing. Yeah. Um, I like full sleeves, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going to get, get myself there. I don't think. It's so expensive. It takes so much time so painful like i think it, i love it but like it's it's a real thing i'm always and i'm looking at my students who are like 18 who have like these full gorgeous sleeves and i'm like where the hell did you get the money for that what the heck? anyway <laughs> um all right we've got one more receptionist uh corner message okay and it is from teal uh and so i'll just read this one into the record for us right. teal says hello again here was my stream of consciousness from the last episode Oh my God, I was upset you missed mine. Haha, ha, why was it marked as promotional? I don't know, Teal. I do not understand this new Gmail situation. Um, have you never been to a Little League baseball game? Yes, they play little clips of songs and sound effects to keep you engaged. I did not know that. Uh, but they play professional baseball games too. And little clips, we're not looking for little clips. We're looking for a full soundtrack. Yeah, I want like actually the best part of a baseball game is their walkout music. Do you know about that? I do know that. Yeah, yeah, that walk because people can have some really good, really fun walkout music, and that gets me excited. Um, but yeah, we're looking for full soundtrack here. She said, "Yes, my aunt buys me interview clothes. Her love language is gifting expensive clothes." LMAO. <laughs> so she needs to <laughs> adopt us. Love language. <laughs> I work yeah, I completely agree that I would listen to Megan talk about pen reviews for endless hours. My favorite phrase was, quote, aggressive writing, LOL. <laughs> uh, aren't all the characters always annoying and overwhelming and also somewhat able to be empathized with? I don't remember what she's talking about there, but. I don't either, but no, they are not always <laughs> annoying and overwhelming. <laughs> okay. On that. Okay, for once, I agree with Michael. I feel the same way about coffee, the way he feels about his soft pretzel. My supervisor buys me coffee once a week, and that is why I am productive each week, LMAO. Okay, I get it, Teal. You have a boss that buys you coffee. You got an aunt that buys you expensive clothes. Like, people love you. We get it, all right? Like, nobody's buying me shit, Megan. What the hell? Okay, Megan's passionate argument about being, quote, online was so impressive. I thought she was just going to say that's annoying because online is a different meaning and that's confusing, but I appreciated the entire argument about different prepositions. <laughs> really like to take a deep dive in the difference between on and in. <laughs> uh, I'm obsessed with how much time y'all spend on little things. Megan continuing to say, Quote, I have more things to say about lines and pretzels is my favorite. <laughs> Thanks, as always, for making my day, Teal. Thank you, Teal. Thank you, Teal. <laughs> also, I love that, too. I love it when Megan's like, and another thing about pretzels. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and that episode, like, that was basically what we talked about. We did not have a lot of... Do you think your revision and regret might have been that there was something else you had to say about lines that we missed? That's, that's very possible. Yeah, that's probable. 
Um, all right, I, that's all I've got at the receptionist corner. Anything else? All right, no, I think I think we're on to the episode. Okay. All right. Summary. Start. Yeah. Oh yeah. Kelly invites the office to a Diwali celebration, inspired by a couple's. Oh wait, sorry. Pause. <laughs> there was a semicolon. Let me reread. Take two. Kelly invites the office to a Diwali celebration. Inspired by a couple's lifelong romance, Michael acts on his feelings. Mm-hmm. All right. And there we have it. Oh, great. Uh... Tyler, you described this over text as a very cringe-inducing episode for you. Yeah. So, okay, here's what I'll say up at the top, and we'll just, you know, take it from there. But, like, I think this is a great episode. I think this is classic Office episode. I... Mm-hmm. I would say I like this episode. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, uh, you know, I I, I don't, I, I found myself like lacking like lots to say about it. And maybe that's because in some ways it doesn't really move any plot forward. There's not, I, I don't know. I didn't feel like there was a lot of new character ground, but what I do feel, what makes it classic and maybe what makes it harder for me to talk about is just how cringy it is. So mm-hmm. even from the beginning, Michael's like, you know, he's mocking Ryan which feels like older, not older, but like classic Michael, where he's like a little more, little more mean. And then quickly nice dress, Ryan. Yeah. And then, then like, wait, why didn't you get me one? Because he's, you know, jealous of the attention. And then of course, you know, the whole uh, proposal at the, I mean, but before that he's dancing or he's, he's, he's like pissed or disgusted that the, samosas are not um s'mores <laughs> he, uh he's dancing up with everybody which will, i want to talk about that scene because i was curious how you read her mm-hmm. reaction to that because i was a little confused mm-hmm. and then his proposal and then even his song at the end um it's just <laughs> like oh dude like, this is oh and then of course showing up to, with costumes because he's like oh it's like a halloween party uh, I, it's just oh my like, god pure cringe oh and then the line about do you is this the kind of or kind of marriage or whatever where you like have to die if he dies or something like that right like the yes that line um so just a lot of yes. cultural uh, cringy insensitivity even as michael is well-meaning and so i guess that's those things really got to me and i'm like Ugh, like yeah I don't know. Uh, so yeah, what about what? What's your? There's definitely a lot of that. I think this episode is very fun. You know, I I enjoy and I I'm okay with the the cringe factor in the show. I found that I also really like. I want to be sure we talk about Stamford for this episode because I feel like the last time we ran out of it because we spent so much time on the line and then we kind of kind of didn't hit as much Stanford as we could have. I want to talk about that um, yes. because I really like what's happening with Andy and Jim and Karen in this episode. Oh, because I don't. So that'll be fun. Really? Okay, good. Good. I don't understand it at all. But anyway, should we start there? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So on this day, well, there are a lot, I guess, I was deciding where I want to start with Stanford because there are there are a few things to cover here. But I guess the main idea is that Jim and Andy and Karen all have to stay 
late to do some kind of lining things up, checking with the books. So over this time, Andy gets out a bottle. I love this part when it starts. So uh, Josh, the boss, is leaving and he gives him the credit card and tells Karen maximum $20 a person this time so they can order food. And when Andy is ready to go and he turns around and he says, are you ready to party? And he's got a bottle of Jaeger and he's got three shot glasses. And the thing I think is great about that moment, as soon as he says that, it cuts to the music at the Diwali party. But Mm -hmm. it stays on Andy for a minute before it actually switches over to the location with the music. And I don't know. I just thought that was I just thought that was nice. Um, I have a question for you actually about Stanford, and it's something I've been thinking a lot about, but now is actually a good time maybe for us to talk about it. What do you think of the design of the space? Like, and I mean this both in, is this what you want to talk about too? This exact question. Ooh, all right. Well, well, I mean it in two senses. So one in the fictional world of the show, Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh like what do you what meaning do you make out of the design of the office space mm-hmm. and what it's how it's different or distinct from the design of the office space um at Scranton and relevant here would be our previous episode right where Michael's like big idea to innovate is to rearrange the desks <laughs> yes um, so to some degree, that implies that he has some autonomy to design the structure of the office. Like, to yeah. some, you know, obviously, there are architectural constraints, but mm-hmm. still. So, to what? What do you? What's your take on kind of how it represents or expresses, you know, a, a different approach to office? Yeah. Culture? And then on the other hand, outside of the story, like the production design, the 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 show has created a distinct office space to contrast with Scranton and Mm -hmm. it's quite different and so I just was kind of curious yeah what did you make of it and did you do you like it do you think it's a good choice yeah those are my questions Tyler I one thing I'm really curious about is what is it about this episode that prompted us both to come with that same question because it's not like the office furniture is central to the plot here they never talk about it. It's there's something interesting about that, but I have a theory. I have a theory on that. Let's see. Okay, I'm definitely gonna want to hear that theory. Yeah, yeah. Let me start with the desk layout. Well, first of all, Stanford feels more ramped to me, mm-hmm. even though there are the windows and there's a the great view of the water, but it always feels kind of cramped. But I think the really fundamental difference, and there's gotta be some theory of office workflow in this kind of setup and in Stanford it's that the desks everyone's desks are separated and they're facing the same way Mm. and in Scranton they've got the clump method Mm. where there's typically three desks that are clumped together of people who work in the same department so in this case Andy Jim and Karen all seem to be in the same department they're the ones who work together a lot but they're just all in a line. None of them are facing each other. So, no. Which of those desk layouts would you prefer to have as an employee? 
Uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I guess Granton's, you know, it's hard to say because, you know, that's the default of the show. But the thing that I that it would would annoy me greatly about Scranton's setup is like when Jim and Dwight are both on the phone at the same time, it just yeah. seems like chaos. And a lot of their job is being on the phone. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to me to a degree to separate the sales people, like to give them just a slight bit of distance. Yeah. On the other hand, what I would hate about Stanford is I don't want people behind me looking at me to like. Oh, you know, like where they can always see your screen. Yes. And that I would suspect is uh, part of what's going on there because the boss's office is behind them. So they're not facing. Um, and I mean, Michael is they're not all like directly facing him, but he can look out over them. But mm-hmm. this feels definitely more like the boss looks over your shoulder, literally. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, there's like surveillance kind of built into the design. And all he has to do too, so you're right, you can, we can see, and we often see him. An interesting thing just in terms of the the shots that they have then too, is that he's often doing something in his office behind them and you can see him through the glass. So he can see through the glass and he can just do like a quick, you know, stand up and walk around and survey the scene, which reminds me of, uh, did you see the movie Office Space? Yeah. I really like that movie. But the yeah. boss in that, Bill Lumberg, would kind of stroll out with a coffee mug just and like kind of look at what people are doing and go ask them questions and stuff. And Stanford does have the perfect setup to kind of just stand in the back with a mug and be able to see what people are doing. I love that you know the, char- the character's full name from Office Space. <laughs> well, I watched that movie a lot of times. I really... you have, is it like Office? Do you have like an Office fetish? Like I do, actually. Only movies about offices? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. We should test some other examples to see, does it yeah. hold? Yeah, 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 yeah. But also, I think we could do after hours, office hours, office, yeah, office hours after hours. <laughs> or oh. whatever uh and do an office space episode that's a great idea that's a great idea yeah let's do that Um, but i was gonna say the reason i think this episode brought this question up for us is because part of the the joke is that you know karen isn't drinking the shots but they can't see it because they're facing forward yes so this episode kind of like uses the layout to make a comedic joke i guess Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I think that Karen's move is so smart and so funny. I really like the way that she does that. So each time Andy's the one who calls it when they're going to take a shot and does, does he do a countdown? It's like one, two, three, or three, two, one, or whatever it is. And um, I love the moment when Jim, so Andy and Jim take the shot and Karen just dumps it next to her into the trash can. And I love when Jim turns around to look at her and to kind of share the feeling of, whoa, that was a lot. And she also does the face like, oh, yeah, that was intense. And I just I just thought she was really good there. Okay, so that annoyed me. I was like, why? Yeah, I was like, why is she not drinking? I didn't understand. Because they have to get the work done and she has to do it. (sighs) Or because Jaeger is disgusting. Or she doesn't want to be in Jim's position and be... uh, I don't know, throwing up in the back of a car or unable to get home. I mean, I agree with all of that. And I would not... your position. Why was this annoying? <laughs> all right. Um, okay. First, I just was sort of like, what is, 
Like, I still don't feel like we have a great sense of what her character is or who it is to a degree. Mm-hmm. But I was like, hold on, you know, this is the Karen that loves playing Call of Duty and is kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know, like she's gotten in trouble from the boss for kind of not being on top of something. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe she's like a little bit more of a slacker like Jim or whatever. So, um, yeah, I guess she's in charge here, but I I just didn't, there was not any narrative reason why she shouldn't drink other than I was like, oh, is it just because she's a woman? And like the, the show was kind of, you know, like, like, oh, you know, the boys do the drinking or something like that. But then I was like, well, no, Andy is like clearly creepy and, and interested in her. And if she gets drunk, you know, then he's going to say, oh, sleep on my twin bed. (laughs) (laughs) You have what he calls a roller coaster friendship. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I was like, okay, maybe that, I I guess what bothered me about it was just, there's no explicit uh, discussion of, of like why or what, you know what I mean? And I couldn't, and for that reason, I was like, well, why is Jim drinking? Is he, he's just doing Mm -hmm. it to fit in Mm -hmm. or because this stuff is, I, I don't know. I just was sort of like, why? I don't know. I don't yeah. think I even like this story at all. Hmm. Why would they? Um, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't go anywhere, really, to me. But day-to-day life at an office doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I this know. show doesn't go anywhere. I know. It have to. All right. I'm, fair enough. Fair enough. I just, I whatever. I just was like, you should be drinking, too. <laughs> that, I would, that would be more funny to me, I think, than her being the, like, responsible one or something i was like i don't want hmm. very interesting i am shocked by this take for some reason i don't know why <laughs> well i'm shocked that you like liked it so much because i'm like what's there here to like like i don't i don't even get yeah. what it, what is it about like okay well so i'm gonna have to keep thinking about that though we still have to keep thinking about the furniture i don't feel like we fully resolved the furniture issues here well, we haven't, but one other, two other things about it. I was going to ask you, do you think it's nicer or wealthier? Because it looks, maybe it's just the windows, but I also feel like it looks a little nicer lit, lit or something than, and the wood looks nicer than the Scranton office. Hmm. I think it's just a deeper color of fake wood. Okay. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, now I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to go look at some pictures of this. But for some reason... Stanford to me always feels a little darker and maybe it's that the desks are darker in color it feels crowded I think the way the desks are feel crowded and I think that in a space I like I like there to be more open space even kind of just visually you know so if it's the kind of desk where you can see under it and there's the kind of visual airspace Versus, you know, things, I mean, all their desks go all the way to the floor and have the full surround. But I think the clumping style ends up leaving more room in between them. So it feels like there's more airflow or something. Um, Although in terms of working, I actually think, even though people can see my screen, I think I like the row and not facing people because thinking about Stanley having to face Phyllis all the time, for example. Not that there's anything wrong with Phyllis, but from Stanley's perspective, I think she might be a bit much. And he doesn't want to sit and chat. So if you got somebody who you didn't really want to talk to, but they were always facing you and could just not even have to go to the effort of turning around to interrupt you, but could just look up and do it, 
I think that would bother me. So I might want the Stanford layout, but with the brightness or what I take is the brightness of Scranton. Although they don't really have many windows that they've got direct access to because they're in the conference room. So I don't know. The other difference, I guess, that's really worth our consideration is that in Stanford, they have vertical blinds mm-hmm. for um, Josh's office instead of the horizontal blinds that are very much a part of the office kind of aesthetic. You know, all the interviews they do in front of those regular blinds and so i dislike vertical blinds and so actually i think that that's where for me scranton really wins out tyler your face there's a lot going on why do you dislike vertical blinds why would you like them (laughs) why would i have an opinion about them (laughs) tell me tell me about blinds Uh, this is amazing i love what you have opinions about In this opinion about, I'm surprised that there's anyone who doesn't have an opinion on this. Honestly, <laughs> well, so vertical blinds. I mean, there's there are those ones where it's just like a really long strip of plastic. Sure, sure. You could walk by it and flap. It kind of flaps a little bit in the wind. Sure, yeah. It just you can't oh, you can't open them part way. I also like with the horizontal that you know you could have the window like kind of halfway open or not Mm. it's just aesthetically it's a lot less less pleasing to me the vertical before we move on from this uh (laughs) when you have those what do you call them like anyway the horizontal blinds and you have the little uh you know thingy that you twist you turn yeah so you can adjust there now when you want them closed Mm -hmm. you want them down down or do you want them up down my mother always wanted them up to be closed really? and this drove me crazy i was what? just like why because to me i'm like they're not really closed they're up yeah um, anyway i don't know this is a yeah yeah standing in for other conflicts undoubtedly <laughs> so we'll move quickly past that uh i i think though you were definitely right about that thank you i will let her know that you said that <laughs> i believe that there's a right way and a wrong way to do blinds and your way is the right way there is and anyway but so i guess i do have opinions about blinds i like the thin ones like better i like those i like the thin horizontal rather than the super thick oh yeah yeah Uh, okay but uh i think it's okay whether whether i like it or not i think it's interesting the choices that you're describing just for the show, because what they could have done is to have Jim show up at Stanford and it looks exactly like, you know, the author. Yeah. And yeah. they could have gotten a lot of comedy out of the kind of deja vu, you know, everything is the same kind of vibe or mm-hmm. maybe slightly reversed where he's the Dwight um, and somebody else is the Jim in the mm-hmm. show or something. You know, they didn't do that character wise. Um, and instead, they're putting him in a new situation and also reflecting that new situation with the set design, they are distinguishing it from Scranton. I kind of took some of the, I mean, I think you're right about the claustrophobia and that probably relates to the isolation of Jim to a degree. So we pay more attention to him building a friendship or partnership or whatever with Karen. Um, But, and I know they don't have time for everything, but it's just interesting how the consequence of that is like, really we only focus on four characters at Stanford 
Jim, mm-hmm. Karen, Andy, and the boss whose name is escaping me. Um, what's his name? Josh. Josh. And so like that guy comes in to ask Karen for help with the vending machine. Yeah. Um, and we haven't really seen him. We don't, I don't, I think we've seen the vending machines. We've seen a conference room, but we don't see the whole space in the way that we tend to. Yeah. In and so it's just, that's interesting to me that like yeah. more light and more of a sense of openness, but then a literal constriction of mm-hmm. the social world. Um, and I think it looks a little richer, I got to say, which, and I wondered if that was partly a subtle will Stanford do better than Scranton in sales? Um, I don't know. That's all I got. Tyler, I'm I'm trying to look back at some pictures of this office. It's also got the drop ceiling. Mm. You know, the whatever those tile, tiles are. What, what are those? Um, you know, like asbestos tiles. They're not really yeah. asbestos yeah. anymore, but you know what I'm what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't think that this I think this might want to look like a more high class office. I don't think it is. All right, fair enough. I think, <laughs> I think it is. And I'll 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 say and I'll give you another reason why. I think it, okay, it, try. It, I did not expect that we would be having such a contentious discussion today, but here it is. Here it is. <laughs> We're gonna get into it. On Never this. know where it's gonna come out, but this is it. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that the outfits and the makeup on Andy, Karen, and Josh are decidedly like um more glamorous or something than everybody else at Stanford or uh, Scranton. Part of that is the lighting. That the lighting in in Scranton is so fluorescent, and there's <laughs> no shadows whatsoever. But I also think it's like Karen has this kind of sharp, uh, trendy, like, uh, suit situation. Andy is kind of overdressed (laughs) to a degree in his sharp little Cornell suit. And then Josh, similarly, you know, so there's a kind of like, I don't know, nobody looks schlubby in the way that everybody else at Scranton does. Um, So that would be my case fair the disdain on your face is that so is this what you're like as a teacher when students say things you don't agree with is this what it feels like (laughs) i say you look sick honestly you're just like ugh. like i have to oh i have to listen to such stupidity and pretend (laughs) politely to draw some gold from from a turd that's what i feel like (laughs) i save my disdain for you tyler It's just a sign of the level of our friendship. Yeah. Oh, you know, <laughs> you're only this mean to people you love. <laughs> but what I do want to say, Tyler, is that what you're pointing to, though, are the characters outfits and not the design of the space. And I think that maybe what's happening is that the way they dress is affecting the way you're reading the furniture and the architecture and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, they say, if you're going to look at an apartment or a house or something like that, try to see past the ugly paint color or whatever, you know, like you've got to imagine yourself in it or you can't let those surface things mm-hmm. lead you to misunderstand the space. And I think that that's what's happening to you with the outfit. Wow. wow. I think Andy's, you know, Andy's got... Uh, 
I, I, what does he have? Would you describe it as kind of a like a country club style? Yeah, yeah. You know, like very preppy. Um, yeah, Karen. Karen, I think I like I like Karen's style. She's often she's got a white button down shirt on this one, so it's more crisp than Pam's look. She often has a jacket. I think she looks great. Um, Andy in this one is wearing a uh, like a light a white light blue like kind of checked shirt and then he's got a what is it called diagonal striped tie that's bright green and dark blue but that's not the furniture like I'm looking at their desks there's they're very they seem cluttered they have these uh black stacks of those kind of inbox you know where you can like put papers on different levels the color of the desks is dark I I'm not convinced it's real wood I'm sure it's I don't really like the color. I think it's a little too dark for this kind of space. It's that sort of dark, like it's supposed to look like cherry or something like kind of a dark mm-hmm. reddish. It's just so full. I, Cause so yeah, I'm looking, I'm just looking at this scene and it's so full of stuff. And I think I find that just doesn't, I don't know. Like it stresses me out. I think. It's interesting because I think of it as like, more of a clean um i'm not even just being contrarian now i'm like genuinely confused why we have and also like we haven't even talked about diwali but whatever but i I genuinely thought that what they were trying to communicate is that stanford basically has their shit together and that Scranton doesn't, and that the way that they're communicating that is sort of like not, you know, like through through the spatial kind of design. And so I thought it was, I thought it was a little more, uh, yeah, put together like literally and and figuratively. Uh, <laughs> like you don't see Homer Simpson in the background up on a filing cabinet, just as one example. You know what I'm That's saying? True. Um, That's true. That's true. It's more impersonal. Uh, yeah. and, but I would argue it, it looks just a, a tinge more corporate. Um, okay, okay. They but, do have the same inspirational posters on the wall, like window, sure. window of Opportunity and one that right. says Momentum. It is more neutral, you're right. Like there's not the Homer Simpson, there's not the, uh, like that bumper sticker that's for the local radio station. There are definitely those kinds of personal touches at Scranton that may be unprofessional, but I think that this might be, I don't know, I'm having, I'm having, having trouble articulating this, but let me just say, I strongly disagree with your reading. Well, but I'm not saying that I prefer it. Like I'm not, it's not an ethical claim. It's just, it's just, <laughs> a, it's just a description. Like I'm not, I'm not saying I want to work there. Um, well, okay. Let's to round out this plot and and <laughs> move on dive further into our conflict about it. Um, okay, so they get drunk. Andy and Jim sing Indigo Girls. Um, Karen makes fun of Jim for oh, having Indigo Girls. That's so funny. What a great choice for Andy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Karen makes fun of him for having a basket on his bike. He shows up super sweaty. Um, He's going to bike home, falls in the bushes. She gives him a ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and Andy, what? He, like, sleeps on an air mattress or something like that. Um, yeah. 
So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the only uh, thought I had was I just remember a time showing up to um, like a academic event, having uh -huh. like, hiked up a very, very <laughs> large mountain sort of <laughs> or hill and uh, not a mountain, but a very large uh, hill. And um, and it was like 100 degrees out in the summer. And I was just I I looked like Jim, like pit stains, like whatever. And I got and I tried to like hide in a like kind of position myself in a corner so yeah. that people wouldn't like see my sweaty back. It's like one of the things that I'm most shameful about. Like I feel so much shame about that. I'm like, God, I hope nobody remembers. I looked I looked like that. Um, so I felt for Jim. I was like, it's rough to show up to a professional space, uh, you know, but you tried to be healthy or you didn't, you didn't want to use the yeah. car, like whatever. And, uh, yeah. Anyway. So I felt for him there. Uh, but I felt, I felt for him there too. I thought it was, I thought that was some very charming <laughs> gym. I felt for him and I've also been in situations, professional situations being inappropriately sweaty like that. Yeah. So, definitely definitely felt for him there i will say josh well we're on the note of outfits when josh so jim is talking about his bike riding and he's seen josh do it and yeah. like jim wears his whole work outfit but then it cuts to josh coming in and he's wearing his bike shorts and he's got this little like professional blue biking shirt he's got the gloves he's got the nice helmet it's off hanging on his bike you can see actually on the bars of his bike He's got those also additional vertical bars that I think you use if you're doing that, like lean over and, you know, you want to be able to change your hand grip. So let me give you this about what you take to be the higher class, wealthier vibe of Stanford. It might all be coming off of Josh's bike gear because that is a commitment and uh, there, there's a lot, there's a lot there. That doesn't affect that doesn't affect the interior design, but there's definitely a message coming from Josh and and Jim is not is not fitting the bike culture because there's definitely this kind of biker culture, not biker in the motorcycle sense, this biker culture that Josh seems to fit with and Jim definitely does not. So do you think Jim is trying to fit in with Josh? I think he just likes the idea. I think my read on it is he just is like, oh, that's a that's a good idea. I should try to ride my bike to work, too. Let's go to the record. Um, he says, I started biking into work. Josh does it. And he lives a lot farther away than I do. And also it saves gas money, keeps me in shape, helps the environment. And now I know it makes me really sweaty for work. <laughs> Now, I'm going to disagree with you here yet again okay. <laughs> and, and argue that the fact that he's like, Josh does it and he lives a lot farther away than I do. I'm like, he's trying to mm. align himself with Josh. Mm. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's my like read on the subtle, like what they're mm. trying to do with Jim is like, mm. how is he making choices now to change who he was Granton, mm. and so that's and fair. whereas before he didn't want to be like the boss yeah now, like he's trying slowly to be more responsible be more whatever um but it, that, that doesn't exactly i mean that's why i actually think it would have been a more interesting writing choice to have him not drink and have karen get drunk and then jim like takes her home or something like that i don't know like i thought 
like you know because like he's like oh no I, I should i'm trying to be more responsible or i'm like you know i don't know something like that um, hmm. but maybe i'm misreading the jim's intentions in the way that i'm also misreading the, <laughs> the spatial layout <laughs> no i'm more i'm more open i'm finding i'm finding you more persuasive on this point does he become a little more dwightish then in his interesting in his kind of following some of the josh moves possibly oh that's an interesting idea hmm. josh seems to hate karen i don't know he just seems patronizing to her and like potentially... i haven't noticed that that's interesting well he's like and karen let's keep it to 20 dollars a person this time like i don't know he just... oh yeah and then wasn't he the one who gave her the he was like you know have have jim like oversee her to make sure she gets her yeah. work in or something i was like what's his deal yeah you're right i have not thought about their their relationship but yeah that that is right and that she's like hmm it's interesting interesting potential combination of being both patronizing and like what's going on in the fact that karen is the one who's going to do the food ordering and is it kind of the thing where it's like, oh, you know, it, the woman is going to take notes and the woman is going to yeah, um, yeah, order the food. But is it also just the fact that does Josh know that Karen is the only one who is competent here and the only one who's going to actually handle it? <laughs> that's possibly that's possibly the case. And that would explain maybe why she chooses not to drink. Yeah. Other than Jaeger is, I also agree with you, disgusting. And I don't that's want to get bombed and fill out forms yeah <laughs> um well okay so uh Shall we go back to Scranton? You're, you're just not going to convince me that jim is charming in this one i just find him to be uh, i don't even that face he makes he's like Meh. i'm like oh come on jim huh. um but i did like him in andy singing and uh, come on yes i love that indigo girls song uh so i enjoyed and that it's so happy too when jim joins in with him i love also how karen tells him no acapella andy yes yes <laughs> he just gets so excited when jim joins in and that makes me happy for andy and it is sweet and silly when andy says you're welcome to share it it's a roomy twin for his <laughs> inflatable thing like he's like you know there's no gay yeah. there's no um and he's just kind of like you know we're frat bros or something yeah know, yeah attitude. but um I think the last thing I have to say about it is well okay I don't know yeah I'm, I don't have much to say about Andy yet but I like when the show calls attention to its status as a sitcom and so I thought it was interesting when Andy says uh that he and Karen have on again off again sexual tension filled type of deal it's very Sam and Diane from Cheers and I was like mm -hmm. oh right you know like and that's what mm -hmm. Jim and Pam have and you know, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I just enjoyed that kind of little meta. No. Huh. It's interesting then Andy imagining himself into sort of a sitcom sexual tension kind of relationship when that is clearly not the case with Karen. Not at all. Like not <laughs> and even... he has to kind of edit it. He has to sort of self-edit to roller coastery friendship. Um, <laughs> that's hmm. All right. That's should we move to Diwali proper? Yes. We should at least move to Scranton. I might have something that's before Diwali. Okay. 
And Michael does this presentation. I think he believe I think he refers to it as his Indian seminar. <laughs> and one thing I just thought was interesting is that we now have this like repeated presentations from Michael. Yes. And I thought it was interesting to think about what is his theory of diversity training and so his approach to it. And what is his presentation form too? You know, so for example, he relies heavily on pictures. He often has pictures pasted around the room. His slideshows are just images, heavy on images, light on content. So I thought we might think about what Michael has to teach us about presentation strategies. So does do we have a theory of Michael's presentation uh, style? And can we learn anything from it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, visual visual aids seem... Lots of visual aids, yeah. And uh, I mean, Michael does have this beautiful way of making every presentation about himself. What you know, uh, so, you know, there's that. Uh, I did think it was funny, the in, the insertion of his um, kiss with uh, <laughs> um, yes. Carol, Carol, uh, because I was like oh my god right like he doesn't it's not that easy to do a selfie um <laughs> yeah you're right in that moment and so her look of shock and confusion is really funny to me um i don't know yeah i'm trying to think what i mean i did think i did wonder if you thought michael had learned anything from diversity day and if that has like mm -hmm. if we can see that in this episode because he did seem more open to yeah other cultures and resist resistant to angela's shaming yes yes i definitely think that he wants to have learned and i think he is i think he is picking some things up he's picking up some strategies um he is funny yeah he's really gosh what's the thing he says that i think is so funny when he talks about um you might have this quote, but when he talks about how he really loves the people that he works with, but if there's one complaint he has about them, it's how very, very ignorant they are about yeah. cultures. And then the thing about bringing it back to himself is that what he gets to is, I just don't want them to embarrass me in front of my girlfriend, Carol. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Michael... He does call it an Indian culture seminar. <laughs> yeah. And he passes out the Kama Sutra. And yeah. And he he seems to have, I was thinking that his, I think his approach to diversity and to kind of being more inclusive or thinking about different cultures or different groups is about representation which is not uh you know i mean it's got its michael version but it also has more sophisticated versions probably but so i'm thinking back to his presentation when it was about disabilities and so he just had pictures of famous people with disabilities yeah. including tom hanks in the movie big i think right <laughs> Like yeah, and here we get Apu from The Simpsons. Uh, yes. Famously so not voiced by uh, a person of 
Indian, yeah. uh, identity or South Asian descent or whatever, you know, it's, it's like a white dude. Um, so, yeah. so that's his thing, right? It's like, so in this case, it's famous Indians. So he has the first, the first one is somebody who was a Nobel prize winner. He's got M night Shyamalan and he's got, um, Apu from the Simpsons. And so, yeah, he's got this like, you know, well, let's, let's look at representation kind of approach, but then yeah, great point about Apu. Have you seen or have you heard about that documentary made by the comedian Hari Kondabolu? Yeah. Um, the problem with Apu, I think. Yeah. And about him being kind of the one Indian character in American television and being, I haven't seen enough Simpsons to kind of really know a lot about what he was like, but I think a very stereotypical kind Tough. of talking by this white guy who does the voice. Um, and Michael also likes to use that voice. He yeah. also does like the kind of Apu talk, including when he like he slips into a little bit of it when he's calling Kelly up to share about Diwali. Mm. So Michael, Michael's a complicated man. I'm looking forward to you defending uh, his. <laughs> no. Um, well, I'm saying I think that he I do think that he tries to learn. <laughs> but I don't think he necessarily pulls it off really well. I mean, I think what it shows is that even... <laughs> I'll say, I think part of what it shows, like the kind of learning he's done is from Mr. Brown and is in diversity trainings. Like he doesn't have a real depth of learning here and so then when he kind of turns around and applies it it's just even more shallow and then also tied up in all of his own motivations and you know his study of the Kama Sutra for example seems to be really convenient for seeing Carol tonight yeah I I loved where he was saying uh it's just sex people everybody does it I'm doing it with Carol probably tonight uh, I don't just like I his love how he uses the phrase to culturally explicit images yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> i don't know there's something so funny about that because it's not then about it being sexually explicit but it's about what is it for something to be culturally explicit you know i i don't know i just thought that that was a really fascinating concept um it's just yeah I think his combination, though, of printing out images and posting them around the walls now in combination with an image slideshow is just very quintessential, Michael. Do you incorporate that into your pedagogy by any chance? <laughs> I think I probably should. <laughs> Bring back the posters. Um, yeah. Well, I was, I, have, I do. Uh, there are some things I, I do that go on the wall occasionally. Um, but I, I am definitely going to keep Michael's combination of slides and printed images in mind in the future. I thought it was interesting. So Creed is like, oh, I know that position. Meredith's like, Ooh, that's what they call it. And Kevin says, this is the best meeting we've ever had. Uh -huh. Meanwhile, Ang Angela thinks it's offensive. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I just thought it was funny the way the characters are divided between those who are kind mm -hmm. of in sex Mm -hmm. and not into sex mm -hmm. or comfortable comfortable with it and yeah. but also michael's like I, I don't know i there's something funny we've talked about a similar instance before where but i can't remember where um 
Michael's kind of like, where's the one where he says basically like they don't eat monkey brains, but if they did, that'd be okay too. Like this kind of, like he's trying to be inclusive, yeah, trying to undermine stereotypes, but then he also like reinforces those stereotypes, but in a way where he's trying to, um, you know, trying to do it in a affirmative way. So he says, Indians do not yeah. eat brains. And if they do sign me up, because I am sure they are very tasty and nutritional. I don't know. There's just something about that, like, I don't know, cultural insensitivity, but then it's articulated as a kind of positive thing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just found that. Yeah. Yeah. Amusing. There's an interesting that between, so he goes or starts from a criticism of this sort of like stereotypical kind of exoticized description from Angela so he wants to critique that but then it's an interesting thing in a case where I guess you're trying to be accepting while also not knowing what the reality is and so you you, like somebody could come back at you with this other fact so it's like he kind of has to cover his bases almost with the criticism of the stereotype but then also the cultural relativism that is like if they do do this it is a good thing it reminded me too of when he talks about um porn in the um, yes. witch hunt episode right and he says i i don't like this but it's exactly. or it's not for me but it is rather beautiful yeah 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 yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So that, like it's not it's not for me but it's it's beautiful kind of move um yeah shall we shall we talk about diwali yeah let's do it eventually well okay um karen or not karen uh uh uh, pam ends up going and this line i always kind of wonder what you or i was wondering what you make of it as i was watching it but when pam basically says uh at least i didn't show up like a slutty cheerleader Mm -hmm. and um and then she's like oh is that mean and i was like what is happening here does this reveal something about pam that we have not known thus far and if so what is being like why would she be mean about carol Mm -hmm. and then secondly i thought you know what is i don't know there's something about that line i think that it like it it seems excessively mean and sexist Mm -hmm. because she's just dressed as a cheerleader there's nothing especially or inherently sexy about it right other than like our culture is kind of fetishizing of the cheerleader as you know as as a sex um fantasy or object so yeah i I don't know i was sort of like what what what, this feels like a a turn Mm -hmm. Um, and but at the same time i was also like or is this just part of a kind of cultural moment where you know the joke is i don't know like because i thought this earlier in the episode with you know, they clearly have like a larger actor be like, oh, I can't get my hands into the vending machine. Mm-hmm. You know, Karen, can you help me do it? And she's like, did you shake it? And it felt like the joke is just supposed to be like, oh, he's fat and mm-hmm. he, he wants her to help him or something. And so I was sort of like, oh, is part of the reason I'm bristling at this is like just kind of conventional, but uh, pretty insensitive humor in the early 2000s or something but I felt like it wasn't just the potential that the show is being sexist but that Pam Pam's it didn't feel like Pam's character exactly to me or something Mm -hmm. so I don't know did you have thoughts on that you're right it does it does feel a little 
odd. I definitely thought, like, I know what the slutty cheerleader costume is, and that is not it. Because she was just a real straight-up cheerleader. You know, she had the real official uniform. Um, I think it comes... I think it probably comes from Pam's self-consciousness in that moment. You know, like, she was feeling uncomfortable going and not having anybody to go with. She's uncomfortable about her right. outfit because she gets right. there and realizes that she's underdressed. And so I think it's just that thing that we sometimes do, you know, like in being self-conscious. And so then like finding something mean to think or to say about somebody else to feel less bad. So it kind of took it as Pam feeling out of place and feeling bad about it. And then one thing that was interesting is that she like she catches herself on it right away and she's like, yes. is that mean? Yeah, yeah. Um so she does she does catch it there. Um, where did Carol get that outfit? Like, is that her <laughs> cheerleader outfit? Is it like I, I was just I was like, man, where did she? She's used as a costume before, so she just kind of has around like Michael right. and his two head costume that he's reusing. Is that from the Halloween episode? I couldn't remember what that was from. Yes, it is. And how just perfect for Michael that the base of his outfit is just a suit. And so yep. all he has to do is take it off. And poor Carol, I would have been so mad at him. Oh, when I would have been furious. He says, I thought you said this was a costume party. Yeah, yeah, furious. Okay, well, so what do you make of Carol's read on Michael? Like, she definitely seems annoyed, but not filled with, like, rage in the way that I might be. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, that's too extreme. But I'd be pissed. And I'd be like, we got to go. Like, I'm not I would have been filled with rage, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, but also the way in which Michael's response is very dismissive, because he's like, well, what would you call that? And she's like, an Indian woman in a sari, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah. But then I couldn't get a read on his her reaction to him like dancing and kind of trying to fit in. Mm -hmm. uh, did you think that she was cringing or was she softening um, when he's up there? Yeah. Dancing? I felt, gosh, I wish I could go and kind of see her face again in that moment. I felt like kind of both. Um, Michael... I think we know how I feel about Michael's dancing and he, he is just having such a good time. So he's out there, he's in the line and, you know, he's like kind of throwing up his arms and moving all around and he just looks so genuinely happy and he's into it and having a really good time. And I feel like Carol's face like goes through some different things yeah. in that scene as she's watching. And part of it seems to be, feeling like it's kind of just annoying and weird. And then I think there is a, a softening where, you know, you just, you see someone doing something that they love or they're, they're kind of free and there's watching him and that. And I think there's a softening and sort of seeing the charm of it. But then I think also some sadness kind of creeps into her face. Like there's a, maybe a sort of pitiful dimension of it. <laughs> It's not like this kind of dancing is hot on Michael. Right. That's true. That's I true. mean, I'm someone who is good at it, but Michael, oh. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's not, yeah, he's playing it like kind of goofily, right? He's, he's almost like a child wanting her attention. Yeah. In a way. But um, is he acting goofy or is it just that 
he is goofy. Like, you know how sometimes when, when people dance, they'll, if they're not super comfortable dancing or something like that, they'll like make fun of it kind of, or they'll be goofy in that way where it's like, I'm not taking this seriously. But it seems to me that Michael is going all in and taking it seriously. And it's goofy because he, that's just how he dances. Like he's not actually good at this. Um, but it seems like he's really trying. I think so. I mean, I was, I was surprised how well he was doing. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and obviously, you know, the the joke about uh, samosas, you know, or other, you know, the, the what was the... Um, probably the most offensive thing is when he's talking to um what kelly's parents is that it yes uh i'm trying to remember where that is but um you know uh because that's where he gets the idea to be to marry her but he's oh she says he says very fair very kind so tell me is your marriage the kind of thing where when you die she has to throw herself on a fire no okay it's still very cool thanks um so he's he is trying to understand, you know, a different culture's marriage practices. And then on the other hand, you know, it's like, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I kept thinking, how would, how is Carol like experiencing all of this? But it's truly the proposal that, that I think we, we must discuss. And uh, would you have said yes? <laughs> oh, should she have like, said yes? I feel like I should be able to say to this either a hard no or a hard yes. <laughs> I can't say either. I guess a couple things. It does feel like Michael is genuinely touched by their relationship. He learns that I think they had an arranged marriage, right? So he says something about like that they had met once before they got married. And I think seeing them then be married for decades and have a family and have happiness and have all of that that he wants I think part of it gives him a kind of confidence Carol will say that we've only had nine this is only our ninth date I think but gives him the sense that oh you know you could meet once and it could be enough so I haven't been dating Carol for a long time but this could be enough when she so I I do think she made the right call (laughs) but I like the way or I don't know if I like, but um, maybe a sort of touching and painful part of it is when she kind of quietly says, can we talk about this in private? And then he says he couldn't hear her and she has to say it louder and in a way where her voice is kind of breaking a little bit. Her acting is excellent in this episode. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, she tries to like communicate to him. Yeah, it's... But his like, I didn't hear yeah. you. Is so fucking funny, awesome, and cringy. Yeah. I'm like uncomfortable just thinking about it. Right? Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. It kills me. Yeah. It is. It is painful. <laughs> and then his, I mean, oh, I forgot the other cringy stuff. Is like, he goes out and he talks to Pam, yeah. and is like, oh, you know, I finally realized how you must be feeling. We're both the victim of broken engagements. then he tries to kiss her and Mm -hmm. she's like what she says what are you doing he's like what are you doing i'm rejecting your kiss like so not only did his does he do it and get rejected then also like it has to be explicitly stated to him yeah what is happening because he's like 
oh god and then then he wants to say it's like taxi cab confessions oh similarly when he's walking out with carol and he says um i feel like i've known you many lifetimes then he says uh okay good night and you're like okay fine he's he's understood and then he's like hey why don't i come with you because i got this book called the kama sutra and it's oh yes fuck man it's just it's painful for me i think the spectacle of somebody desperately trying and yearning and like so publicly not only failing but not understanding is oh it makes my skin crawl Mm -hmm. it's pretty (laughs) yes is it just awkward is it also heartbreaking is it the way it hurts your heart i don't know i guess it's I don't know. I think it's the awkwardness of it, maybe, and and then yeah. also the the purity of Michael's desperation. I yeah, think, is what is interesting, right? Like the fact that he 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 is so authentically like I don't know, mm-hmm. just wanting wanting to be loved and want and he's curious, like yeah, about this event and this and these people to a degree. I don't know. Yeah, but I do have a I have a brief uh, quick theory for you, which is that. Uh-huh the songs that are included in the episode are intentional. And um, so we have two different songs. The first is uh, Beyonce's Crazy in Love. Um, Uh And in particular, we've got the uh, chorus uh, included, the got me looking so crazy right now, your love's got me looking so crazy right now. Hmm. Um, uh, Got me hoping you'll page me right now, your kiss got me hoping you'll save me right now. Mm. looking so crazy your love's got me looking and and so forth um so I kept thinking that that was uh, indicative of Michael's mental you know state you know when he kind of whips himself up into believing like you know that this is somehow appropriate um at the same time over in Stanford they're singing closer to fine and the point of that song is that among others you know among other possible interpretations of it is that like, you know, you keep trying to do all these things to get clarity and then you just find yourself even further from the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, And the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to find. So the less you seek it, the more, Mm -hmm. the closer to find you are. Mm -hmm. And we see that reflected not only like in the lyrics, but like the lyrics. So there, I don't know if you remember this part from the song where it's like, um, where is it? I stopped by the bar at 3 a.m. to seek solace in a bottle or possibly a friend. And I woke up with a headache, like my head against the board, twice as cloudy as I had mm. been the night before. And I went in seeking clarity. And I thought that that was similar to Andy and Jim getting drunk because yeah. they're going to wake up with a hangover. But also to Michael, like he keeps it's this endless desire that keeps him actually from getting closer to what he what he wants like he Mm -hmm. can't just show up to the thing and have a nice time instead he has to like try to turn it into an event about him a momentous occasion of a wedding anyway so uh, that's my brief argument for why the songs but i did want to ask you about among other things the choice to do a proposal at a public event with other people's family members like one of my favorite genres of YouTube video, for example, is the proposal at like a football game or a or um yeah. or somebody else's wedding and the person gets rejected. It's one of my favorite uh things to watch um when I'm feeling depressed. Uh yeah. 
And um, and the reason I like that, I like the rejections in public is because I'm like, who the fuck are you to think that everybody here should be into your engagement yeah. or whatever? But for whatever reason, you know, those are supposedly real. This is fictional and it, it made my stomach turn. And uh, but I should have had the opposite reaction. I should have been like, fuck you, Michael, for taking making this all about you. But I don't know. I was curious what you made of yeah. all of this. Hmm. I definitely do not care much for the public proposal of that variety. Though I will say what I think excuses Michael in this case is that he it is spontaneous and he is crazy in love. And he says something like, I'm not crazy. Well, maybe crazy in love. And with the connection then to that song, that that song has been playing, it made me, it made me think about or just kind of wonder how do you be crazy in love in a way that's kind of hot like Beyonce versus crazy in love like Michael where it's yes. just kind of frightening You're like where's the where's the line between <laughs> to to quote an earlier office episode where is the line on you know crazy expressions of love where it is dramatic and crazy expressions of love where it is way too way too much <laughs> and uh with Michael, it's definitely, it's definitely way too much here. But poor guy, he just, he just wants to be loved. Your sympathy for Michael is astonishing. <laughs> but what about Dwight? You know what I mean? That's what I say in this. Dwight, who's in the closet with his love for Angela, um, and uh, goes over to Ryan the temp and gives him, I don't know, like rubs his head or something and, and tries to pretend to kick him. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you, did you feel no sympathy for Dwight? I actually, I thought Dwight, I thought Dwight looked good. He was well, he was well dressed for this event. He was, he was, he was. And it's him and Roy, Roy showing up in a button down shirt and a blazer. Yeah. He looked good. And the beard. I thought he looked great. I, I think, yeah, I felt for Roy. I really, I felt for Roy a lot. You're in, that's crazy. What you're yeah. saying is crazy right now. What? Why? Yeah, that's fair. And meanwhile, Pam, though, when he comes, is dancing with the doctor who yes. um, Kelly's parents want her to marry. I thought that doctor was cute. He was cute. Yeah. Uh, might be a better choice than Roy, but Roy just, I just, you know, vulnerable, vu- vulnerable Roy, he gets me. You know, like you, he changes. He falls from grace and then he's he's got my got my sympathy here. Uh I think this episode, I don't I don't remember the point at which I'm like, I hate Angela, you know, it's probably mm. her treatment of Oscar or whatever, but or just her general vibe. But this episode really they make Angela so incredibly unlikable and yet so believable. Like I've met Angela and and just like her endless racism, and I love the line about like what's vegetarian and it's like it's all vegetarian and she's like just give me some bread or whatever she says you know yes i thought that was such an interesting line too where it becomes then clear that it's actually not just about being a vegetarian yes yes like what's the thing what's the attitude that she gets to convey by being a vegetarian right and so she still does that with the i'll just have some bread and then oh you touched it with your hands right she's the worst but who's the best that's the real question that I'm eager to find out unless you have other things to say. I have only one other, one other thing. Okay. And that 
is about Michael singing the Diwali song, which is a what do you what do you call those songs when you remake another song? Um, gosh, what do you call that? There's some name for it. Parody, a mashup. Yeah, yeah, like a, par- a parody song of Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. Oh, there are three songs in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it ends on this. And he starts by saying, this is going out to Indians everywhere. And it's a tribute to one of the greats, Mr. Adam Sandler. And then he sings his song. And the crowd, the final shot of the episode is when it pans out to the crowd. And everybody is standing there watching and like clapping and having a really good time and so michael here gets to be a star like he really he really gets a very positive reaction and i was thinking of it and feel because so we've we've talked about how i did feel bad i did have sympathy for michael in this episode even though he should have probably lost all of it and then i felt oh it's nice you know he gets to end on this higher note and kind of feel better but then I realized this is one of those things where it's like a cut back to something that has already happened. So yeah. it's just really interesting in the narrative strand because where it really does end is he, you know, so he's been out on stairs with Pam and then they go drive away. And, you know, she tells him, I love it that Pam tells him he has to sit in the back of the car. Yeah. It was just interesting structurally then not to end on that not to end on that sadness but to end on michael performing and when he sings he's singing like looking at the camera too (laughs) and it just he's he's having he's having a great time i found that i I, a little irritating i have to say like the Um, fact that i was like you know people liked it what'd you say that that people liked it and it went so Oh no, I no, I found that all very charming actually. I just didn't like the narrative structure because I was like, wait a minute. Like I get well, okay. So if it's meant to kind of give us, you know, a little uplift for Michael at the end, I don't love that, you know, because uh-huh. I feel like, no, like we've been through the kind of cringe and the letdown. It feels like an emotional whiplash a little bit to me. But you know, that doesn't bother me so much as just what you're saying kind of in terms of the temporality of the story this Mm. happened earlier so that begs the question for me like okay did that happen before the proposal or after if it happened before then like i don't know how did how did carol respond to this you know Mm. what i mean how did others interpret it yeah it happened after the proposal go ahead sorry I was just going to say, because I don't think we see her when it goes and scans the crowd. Right. We don't think we see her. And so, yeah, that made me wonder, yeah, did he, yeah, at what point does he go in and do this? So, like, does it give him a little uplift and make him feel a little bit better? Or is it before and then he he crashes down? I don't know. But I like the idea that Pam and he and Pam, like, just get in the car to go. Yeah, that anyway, um, we should also mention just to get it in the record that Pam calls Jim, but Jim's like uh, drunk, right? Or whatever, asleep. Yeah, like his phone buzzes and he's got his head down. Which that's another reason why it can't be Karen, right? That gets drunk. It's got to be Jim so that he's out of contact. But he could have been out of contact. He could have been helping her into his car or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Not answered his phone, but they're really doing the will they won't lay Sam and Diane situation here um i gotta tell you this is uh probably one of the easiest undies i've ever given really yeah how about for you 
This one was pretty easy for me too. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I want you to go first. All right. Well, um, this uh this is the hospitality. Ooh, I like that. It goes to Kelly Kapoor. Uh, nice. <laughs> not only did she, you know, so graciously um host the entire office, but she invited everybody she made everybody feel welcome even people like angela that were so insensitive and or racist mm-hmm. um and with michael as well um and uh yeah i don't know and i just found it e- really charming also the ways in which like her parents make an appearance ryan you know the way she's trying to make ryan feel comfortable even though he's made to feel uncomfortable in other ways and so i thought this was a really great episode for Kelly and she was crucial to the plot and crucial to everybody having a good time. It was nice. generous. She was generous. She was, she was, she's deserving of an award, but you know who I think is, even yeah, you, I don't feel like I've convinced you. <laughs> yeah. Just wait till you hear who my Dundee is for the fine work award goes to Karen Filippelli. What the fuck? <laughs> I love Karen in this episode. I love it that she dumps the shots. I think she gets all the work done. I think she works really hard and does a good job. I think she is nice to Jim. I like when she goes and helps him when he falls on his bike in the bushes. And then she goes and gets his bike. And she just gets these kind of little smiles. Um, And I just... That happens too early on. I think when he comes in with his bike and he's all sweaty and she does that little smile kind of laughing at him, but in a charmed way. And I just, it's when she says nice basket. Yeah. I, I love Karen in this episode. So is it possible our, our disagreements about Stanford were, weren't actually about the furniture, but they're really about our different views on Karen. Is that, is that what it's all really about? They're about the furniture too. <laughs> All right. Fair Much enough. School supplies. I've got strong, strong feelings in this area. Quick question. Had you known at, when we sat down to record that Karen was your Dundee, like from the, from the, are you kidding me? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> That's why I was so shocked. That you <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to re-listen to this so that I know that going like, listen <laughs> <laughs> I hope you come back with some revisions and regrets on this next time. Oh, my whole regret is gonna be like, I'm sorry, I was wrong about Karen and the furniture. We'll but see. Uh, next time we will be talking about uh season three, episode seven, pretty pretty momentous title called Branch Closing. Mm-hmm. It's a big one. All right. Well, I look forward to it. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>